With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. It's going to be James. Oh, here it is. It's under three it's seconds three. to go. Throws up the floater. Oh, Good night, Cleveland. That is for you. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Carter Rodriguez is still on his honeymoon, so instead, I have brought a more attractive replacement in his place. Um, From Locked On Celtics, the man, the myth, the legend, Sam Jam Packard. Sam, how's it going, man? It's going well. This has been a long time coming, so I'm happy to be here. It has been a long time coming. We've uh, we've talked about uh, doing crossover podcasts and things like that, but... What what better time than to finally unite for the conference finals between Cleveland and Boston? Isn't like that it's just the perfect stage. Like no one expected it taking this route to get here, but we're still at the exact same spot that we predicted at the beginning of the season. Yeah, which is kind of insane if you think about the changes that have gone uh both teams. Um but at the end of the day, it's just like LeBron's going to be there because he's the the best player, and um, Brad Stevens is an absolute wizard, and I would follow him anywhere because he's a, a genius. Right. To, to uh, <laughs> quote Chris Mannix, we're having the great debate of the player versus Brad Stevens, so I'm very much looking forward to that in the uh, conference finals here. Yeah, Brad Stevens. It's it's kind of like weird. I, I've really realized recently that I, um, like I treat him like a cult leader. And I'm fully like I'm so you're, you're really alone there with uh, Celtic fans. That's that's a very unique trait to just you. Oh, what being self-aware or following him like a cult? Uh, the, the cult part, the self-aware isn't isn't. It's not uh, best. It's yeah, not it doesn't uh, it doesn't typically come in the into the equation often. But I, I think that's one of the reasons you and I are able to get along and, and deal with the incessant trolling between one another. Oh well, self awareness is uh, is key, and you got to be j- jokes over facts, as uh, the great Black Trey says. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that that's definitely important. But I think most Celtics fans are in the in the cult of Brad Stevens now. I try to kind of push out the the pro Brad Stevens propaganda every night. I read a a, a book about the growth mindset, which is a like a concept that he believes in. He teaches to all his players, and then I interviewed him about it, and he just had me. Uh, he basically, I, I was committed to the Brad Stevens lifestyle ever after that. It's just, I bought in completely. See, here's the thing. And I, the Brad Stevens thing obviously can be a little bit divisive on Twitter. Like, to me, he's in the top tier of coaches. I, I think he's absolutely fantastic. But I think some of the resentment, and I think that's also manifested in the coaches poll that we saw recently released, is that there there's a sense that everything is kind of be give, get, being given to him prior to it being earned. Um, I, I actually think this postseason is the first time that I've truly been impressed with him in the postseason. Like, I think he's always somebody that's gone the most out of his rosters and the most out of the team and they've consistently overachieved. But when you look at postseasons in the past, I always felt like Boston was kind of just running the exact same things that they ran all year and not really react, not game planning specifically for those uh, series. I, I thought they underachieved against Chicago and Washington last year. But this year, it seems like Stevens is really hunting for matchup advantages. And, and I've liked a lot of what he's done this year. And I don't I don't think that's a, a criticism to say that, okay, this guy, uh, he, he was fairly new to the NBA. He had success incredibly early on, and he's he's adjusting. Like, it, it's a process learning w- with a young team. Well, that's the thing is, like, I think the, the backlash, I don't want to say it's, it's jealousy because I don't know what you would want Brad Stevens to have done, like, other than this. to it's He hasn't fully proved himself, but he's been tremendously successful uh, gotten better, had a, he's had a better record each year, and I think with respect to the playoffs, it's really, I think the it comes down to a lot of the times who's who are the better players on the court, and, and I think this is the uh, Brad Stevens team that has the most talent. Uh, having a team with Isaiah Thomas, as much as I love Isaiah Thomas, and I think that most of our fights were about Isaiah Thomas, 
Uh, he was right. not a great defender. Like the the Celtics teams of the past, um, really didn't have the the talent to be competing in the playoffs, especially before Al Horford got there. Um, like I, the the first time the Celtics played the Cavs, they made that run. It was the first season with Isaiah Thomas. They made a push to get to the eight seed and just get destroyed. I think maybe there's a seven seed to get destroyed by the Cavs in the first round. It was ultimately pointless. Um, Although they did end up getting Rozier that year, so maybe falling back wasn't like the worst thing in the world. But I just don't think that the talent has been there for Brad Stevens with uh, in the playoffs. But in the regular season, he's really turned uh, not great players into gems. And so I just don't know what else – like I don't know where else he could be do worse. He he deserves the praise <laughs> because he's been nothing. He's been nothing but a very good coach. There has been no bad like bad Brad Stevens. No, he's definitely been a very good coach, but I I think when you're elevating somebody to, okay, he's as good as or better than Greg Popovich, which you you do see out there. I understand that's a bit of a straw man argument, but I think we can both agree that's that's an argument that is out there. Um, I, I think you're, you're looking for, okay, he hasn't made the type of postseason runs, and some of that has to do with the roster. And some of that, as I said, I, I think you can identify areas where he hasn't been spectacular in the postseason. And this team right now, as currently constructed with all the injuries, to me, it's almost like the perfect Brad Stevens team because they they execute almost like a college team. Like, one of the impressive things to me against Philadelphia is you look at that last five-minute stretch, every single shot Boston was getting was at the rim, uh, where typically teams would get flustered and resort to isolation basketball. They just kept moving, kept moving, and they would get, like, a layup with two seconds left in the shot clock. And uh, some of that obviously has to do with the players that are there, but I think Stevens... He, he just sits back with his arms crossed and he's not panicking. He's cool, calm, and collective because he knows he's drilled these guys and they're going to execute whatever the play is. So even in that tense situation, he keeps his cool. What'll be interesting to me is to see how he starts to manage personalities once this lineup is fully healthy. Because if Kyrie Irving's in there, it's not going to be, okay, we're, we're going to keep passing the ball and get a shot within the flow of the offense. In those situations, it's, okay, Kyrie, go get us a bucket, which is something that they're, they're sorely missing at this point. But I think once you add in the personalities and egos of three-star players, that's when I'm really going to be interested to see how Stevens reacts to that and what uh, opportunities for growth there is there. You know, it's going to be fascinating, uh, especially when Kyrie comes back, when Hayward comes back. You're basically going to put Terry Rozier back on the bench after basically it's been his coming out party. Well, do you think he's uh, going to be there? Because uh, do you think they can keep both Smart and Rozier? Uh, it's it's definitely going to be difficult to keep both. I think they, um, there's a potential they trade Rozier in the offseason just because of that because uh, his value is never going to be higher. And then certainly people around the Celtics Twitter have been discussing – that I just have no idea what smart's going to command in the open market. And so uh, like what, what, I don't know what team has cap space and what team really wants to add Marcus smart. And so I have no idea what his uh, contract is going to be. The Celtics have the ability to match. So it's hard to say. I, I imagine they're going to want to keep both, but I just, uh, I have no idea. I'm not great at predictions. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not too great at predictions either. Um, speaking of predictions, did you think Boston was going to get here? Because I, that that was one thing that I've been bugging some Celtics fans about was before the playoffs. Like I felt very confident with it being okay. You Milwaukee, I didn't think had a chance just because they're so poorly coached and they use their talent in such. A, a horrific way that they, they weren't going to be able to get by Boston. And after that, uh, Philadelphia, it, it happened exactly how I thought, where if your two guys that are the primary initiators of your offense can't shoot, the other team's going to be able to stay home on those other three guys and completely deny the three-point shot. And that's what you saw. Ursan Ilyasova, Marco Bellinelli, J.J. Redick were all completely useless in that Game 5. Um, were, were you confident heading into this playoffs? I, I know that Boston's missing so much talent, but they, they really do have a lot of quality guys still remaining and in a jersey. Oh, no. I, this is kind of, if I'm thinking back to like playoff preview podcasts, uh, this is the the way the path that the Celtics wanted. I think we uh, I landed on the Bucks as being the worst team just because they didn't have 
uh, anything be- behind Giannis, and they were really, like they weren't poorly coached. And clearly, we wanted to, uh, if we were going to play the Cavs, uh, play them in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, like we were, it was rejoicing that the 76ers got to that three seed. So I was pretty confident in that the fact that they could reach the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, especially with Marcus Smart coming back and being healthy. I didn't actually think he was going to be uh, come back until the second round. So I was pretty confident the Celtics could win um, just because they had home court advantage and they just they had the, the best defense in the league. I was a little concerned that the Bucks were uh, like series went on so long just because um, I thought the Celtics should have uh, played a lot better than the Bucks. The Celtics really struggled to like make to score and score on the road specifically. So uh, my confidence was a little tapered heading into the uh, 76ers series. Also seeing how well the 76ers played, but I didn't just I didn't realize how much of a coward Ben Simmons was. And how- <laughs> honestly, I was dying at the the shirt with Ben Simmons standing open at the three point line, not taking a shot and take a three you coward like that's just that's perfect that's been one of my favorite things about the the 76ers series but it's it's true like the his the fact that he didn't take a three-point shot it's so much easier to guard and uh against like i guess against other teams he's been able to just get around players or use his athleticism but he the celtics basically just met him at the foul line every single time and he just needs to shoot. Like we saw Aaron Baines making threes during this series. He had not taken threes throughout the entire season. And then so what the hell is that about? It's just he could I guess he can shoot from the corner, but he wasn't going to do it. He always was uh, like teams really tried to make Aaron Baines shoot the entire year. They would basically leave him open in the mid range and he would shoot it. And I guess in the playoffs, he's like going out to three. But there was one play where there was like a hard closeout on Aaron Baines and he uh, like drove to the rim, passed it for a layup. But the fact that someone closed out on Aaron Baines is because he was shooting the basketball. Like, yeah, <laughs> just I, I, to, he just needs to shoot it. Like, it doesn't matter if it doesn't go in. This is what makes Marcus Smart so successful is that he just shoots it with confidence. It's probably not going to go in, but players like defend him like they need to defend him. And it makes him just a little bit better. If Ben Simmons had any more space with people contesting the shots, he would be unstoppable because he's already really fucking good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I don't. I think you can. Uh, it's safe to bet that the Cavs are not going to be closing out hard on Baines or Marcus Smart, just based on the way that they defend. Because the Cavs do have defensive limitations. I, I know that's probably though. Remember Game Three of last year, the great Marcus Smart perform, the greatest Marcus Smart performance of all time. Yeah, that that was a bit of a frustrating game. No Isaiah Thomas. The Cavs come out asleep, and Marcus Smart decides to go absolutely ape shit from beyond the arc. But uh, the the Cavs defense, they they have some limitations. So what they do is they funnel open shots to certain guys, and and they left Lance Stevenson open in the past. Um, I, and I think that the it's going to be another instance where they're doing the same thing to Marcus Smart when he's on the court. They'll live with him taking open threes. Um, and I don't think that they're going to be rushing out to defend Aaron Baines. I, I think they'll they'll live with the percentages on those ones. Um, when you're talking about whether or not you could keep both Rozier and Smart, you probably would have a better chance of that if you weren't paying so much money to average Al. Oh, come on. <laughs> Ab- Sorry. <laughs> I had to. I know you had to, and I knew it was going to come up eventually, but my God, the people in Boston who don't appreciate Al Horford are – the worst of Boston sports talk radio, and it's the most frustrating thing in the world uh, because Al Horford has been the be- I think the best player on the Celtics for the in- for the past two seasons, uh, just with his defensive impact alone. And people just don't understand max contracts in the NBA. Like, no, that's what you had to pay to get Al Horford, and now he's been a very good player for you, an outstanding player for you, especially in these playoffs. Oh, it's so so goddamn frustrating. Could, could you imagine how different the NBA landscape would be if Boston didn't offer that contract and he went to his number two option in Washington? Like ha- having that leadership there and that presence, um, that, that would be a completely different Wizards team. I agree. Like I'm, I'm someone that I do have an appreciation for Al Horford. I think he is a tremendous player. Um, I, I think where you run into issues is, especially with Cavs fans, and more general NBA fans, they typically 
general NBA fans at least are only watching later in the, the, the postseason. They're watching playoffs and the way that he has gone out in the postseason, which has been to the Cavaliers over the last few years, um, has been unimpressive. And that's mostly a matchup thing. And that's all one of the Thompson's goddamn fault. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a little nervous that this might be the year that the jokes die, because I don't know how predominantly Tyron Lue is going to f- yeah, I was feature Tristan Thompson that. in this. Yeah, it's I'm a little curious. Tyron Lue is very mysterious with his lineups. Um, I don't know if he's going to go with a heavy dosage of Tristan Thompson or if he's going to start him. I don't necessarily think he has to start. But I, I think if you're going to give Thompson 20 minutes in this game, those 20 minutes have to all come with Al Horford on the court. But here's the um, thing. if I think if they put Thompson on the court, the, the Celtics counter with Baines because the Celtics defense really with Baines this year has been much better. And so there's if there's an opportunity on the court where he's not with us, where the Cavs aren't playing like a five out, they're going to really try to put Baines in there. We saw that with Embiid. I don't think that's necessarily you're would result in the in the Thompson Horford matchup you'd want. I think then you'd uh, end up with Horford guarding Love. No, I I'm absolutely fine with that though. But what the where the issue comes is not that okay. Well, it's not like Tristan Thompson has been eating Al Horford alive and and scoring. 20 30 points on him i'm more talking about if you put tristan thompson on there and given his defensive impact on horford that neutralizes the celtics offensive hub and we're, we're talking about uh, an offense that was ranked 18th over the season and that's with a lot of kyrie irving and i think if thompson's out there neutralizing horford and if you have aaron baines out there who who isn't exactly going to provide a lot of spacing despite what happened in philadelphia my thought process is, okay, that's going to severely limit Boston's offense in those minutes and, and how effective they can run their offense. And if you can do that for 15 minutes a game, I don't know if they can score enough to keep up with the Cavs. Yeah, I just don't know how much if, uh, if the Celtics are playing five out with Al Horford. Can Tristan Thompson, like, stick with Al Horford on the perimeter? If, like, my memories yeah. of Tristan Thompson dominating Al Horford are all on the offensive boards. And so, um, to me, that the, the Celtics going small with Al Horford at the five and him just doing pick and pop. Uh, and really, they did this with Embiid trying to draw him out so that he's not as much of a, a rim protector. I think that's where uh, the Cavs uh, have matchup issues because then they still – like, yes, you're right. Al Horford is absolutely the – the hub of the offense, the guy they want to get, play through. But uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have really been developed into guys who can kind of attack uh, and create offense on their own. And so I don't know who the, the Cavs are going to have to guard them. You're going to put LeBron on, I would assume, Tatum at this point. And then uh, I don't really have faith in uh, whoever your guards are. You know, George Hill is pretty good, but I think he'll be stuck on uh, Terry Rozier. I just think there's a there's a matchup favor. Like I think Jalen Brown actually could be the key to the series in terms of I don't know if this um, the Cavs have the guards depth to to contain him. I just think the Celtics starting lineup, just their starting lineup, has a lot of offensive weapons. Their just offense hasn't been that good, but I think they can win individual battles, like, especially against the the Cavs defense, which is not great. Right, but at the same time, the Cavs have played improved defense in the playoffs here, and Boston's offense is by far the, the worst that they've faced in the postseason. Um, I, to answer your question, yes, Tristan Thompson absolutely can stay with Al Horford on the perimeter. One of the things that made Thompson so valuable was, even though he wasn't a spectacular rim protector, um, he was somebody that could switch onto guards and switch onto wings and stick with them for a possession or two now he's lost a little bit of that mobility with all the injuries he's dealt with but he can still stick with Al Horford in those situations and if you look at uh the the impact stats when Thompson's on the court Horford it's not just about limiting his individual scoring because Horford isn't exactly a high volume scorer although at times this postseason he's certainly shown that he can be that guy but Horford averages as many turnovers as assists in those minutes. Uh, his aggressiveness is way down. He's not taking shots. He's not really passing the ball. It just kind of neutralizes him. And I agree with you that Tatum and Brown have really come into their own. Uh, Tatum especially. I, I think I, I think LeBron's probably going to spend time in those lineups on Brown uh, rather than Tatum. Um, I, I think you, you probably want to have your, your better defender on um, Jason Tatum. Like, I, I think 
you're probably going to put J.R. Smith on him or George Hill at times. Um, but yeah, I, I think if Horford's being neutralized and you have Baines out there to kind of negate the the rebounding, I I think that that really clogs the paint for Boston slashers. Like that that would be my concern. That even though those guys have shown that they they can be dynamic and, and make an impact, if the paint's clogged and Horford's not really himself, I I just don't buy that they're they're going to be able to generate offense. Yeah, you'd have to imagine that the counter would be putting in um, Marcus Morris and going small. And so just having, uh, I guess, a Rozier, Brown, Tatum, Marcus Morris and Horford and trying to go small and shooting that way. But that's kind of the Celtics downfalls. They're not. But, but then then you're running into the Tristan Thompson problem, right? Yeah. And that's going to be like the matchup of uh, of. I think the entire game is just then you're giving up offensive rebounding. And so um, it. Yeah, it's it's concerning for the Celtics, I would say, but uh, um, I would. Yeah, say it turns out when you when you get to the conference finals, there are concerns that these teams that meet in this late in the season typically have things that are very hard to counter. And and on the flip side, one of my concerns going into the series is what Al Horford can do to Kevin Love, um, because Indiana. Thad Young did an absolutely fantastic job neutralizing Love. Some of that had to do with him um, tearing his thumb uh, in in Game 2. But still, like the the way that he was able to stick with Love is completely different than against Toronto, where you have Jonas Valanciunas or Jakob Pertl that that just simply aren't able to go out there. And, And when Toronto would go smaller, um, Love would just be able to abuse them in the post. Horford doesn't have that issue. Like Horford can go out on the perimeter and defend him there. He can provide good post defense. And I think if you neutralize Love to an extent, that really starts to open up the window for Boston to, to steal a couple games here. Yeah, it seems like Love is going to be Love as scoring is going to be very important um, for this series. But I was just thinking about. Uh, so ideally, if they the, the Cavs bring in Tristan Thompson, the Celtics bring in Aaron Baines, that leaves Horford on love. If you're imagining that scenario that Tristan Thompson is guarding Horford, who who's guarding Aaron Baines in that? Uh, like Kevin Love? Oh, yeah. Love would be fine there. Like Love is a good post defender. Um, and I I don't think Baines is really going to beat him in space, which is your your only real concern. He's not going to beat him in space, no, but I just, it just feels like Aaron Baines is so much bigger than Kevin Love. And maybe that's just bias because I, I hate Kevin Love. But yeah. uh, it, it, it might be a bit of that. But, like, the Cavs have been able to get away with that in the past against far more more skilled uh, centers. Um, like, Love did actually a pretty good job. Like, there was that stretch in, in game one where Valanciunas um, hit, hit quite a few shots. Um, but overall, his percentage wasn't that high, and over the course of the series, Love did a good job against him in the post um, and, and really stepped up defensively in the past. He's done well against Andre Drummond in the post. Like, I, I If you're posting up Aaron Baines, I, I just don't know if you're going to generate good offense yeah, there consistently. Yeah, that hasn't happened that often for the Celtics here. That's not a, 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 a emphasis point for them. Right, right. And... I think to an extent, like that's one of the things that you hope that you can do from a defensive standpoint, especially if you have weaknesses like Cleveland. If you can get another team to abandon their offense and all of a sudden start hunting for those kind of matchup things where, oh, Baines is bigger than Love, like let's go to the post there. Um, I I think you take that as a defense. But uh, on the other hand, I don't think that Boston would end up doing that. Like that that wouldn't be a concern for me uh, on either end. Like I, I don't think Baines is that big of a threat, and I don't think that that's something that Stevens is going to do. So do you think Thompson is an offensive liability for the for the Cavs? Like what's the downside of playing him? Why has he not been getting minutes at all? Well, he's been getting more minutes now. Um, health and his ability to actually perform consistently have, have been the main reasons why he's kind of fallen out of the rotation at times this year. Um, I think that there's the potential for him to be an offensive liability. Like there was at there were times against Toronto where they're deploying Thompson with Jordan Clarkson, Rodney Hood, Jeff Green, and someone else. Like, if that's those four are on the court together, you're going to have a lot of issues offensively, which is why I've been in favor of starting Thompson, because if you're playing Thompson alongside Love, LeBron, Hill, and JR, 
you're you're going to be able to still generate offense. Like Thompson's going to be able to set good screens for LeBron, and you have three shooter spacing. Like that is still a deadly play. And and even if you're if you have Horford guarding Thompson in that scenario and laying off him, all of a sudden you have Horford and LeBron in space. Like I, I think that that's a beneficial situation. I don't know if Tyron Lue is going to go with that. Uh, he typically doesn't change his lineups unless it's after a loss. Um, but I think if he's going to play, he needs to play with shooters. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key to the, the whole series is having shooters around um, LeBron James. And so if you're going to play a, a non-shooter in, in Tristan Thompson, you better the other three players better be shooters as well. I just think the Celtics, uh, their defense, I, we, we've been having this debate on uh, Locked on Celtics is how do you stop the Cavs? The Cavs' main strength is they can just – they can put up points. Specifically, there's this LeBron James fellow who's quite good at that. And so if you're the Celtics, if you are um, my my guru and my president, Brad Stevens, how would you try and stop LeBron James? I wouldn't. I, w- <laughs> I would um, – no, I'm dead serious. I, I would uh, allow him to go off, stay home on all the shooters, and just go that route. That's uh, exactly what uh, my co-host John Corrales argued last night is just let him – you have to guard him one-on-one and stay on the shooters the entire time, which is this what the Celtics basically did with Ben Simmons. It's just LeBron James is like 30,000 times better than Ben Simmons. Right, and, and he's going to make the right reads, and, and he has more to his game. Um, in in some ways, it, it's funny, like Boston going up against Giannis, then Simmons, then LeBron. Like it, It's almost like you move backwards on the evolutionary chart, and then all of a sudden you like <laughs> leaped right up to the front of it. Like uh, it, It's a completely different uh, scenario, but I think, yeah, what, what you need to do is, is basically not allow him to pick apart your defense. And... And it'll be interesting to see what type of sets Boston runs because I'm I'm fairly sure that LeBron, with all this time off, he's been studying Boston on film. Like he he's going to be ready. He's going to know their plays and he's going to know what they do defensively. And they're going to have to throw some new looks and, and things they haven't run this season um, if they're really going to catch him off guard. That's why it's coach versus player, Stevens versus the LeBron. It's brain versus brain. It's a fantastic series. Right, with where Stevens has absolutely nothing to lose because even if they get swept, it's okay. Well, we had all these guys out. I know it's awesome. The narrative going in is that the Celtics should have never been here. Uh, anything with you after this is gravy. And if for the Cavs, it's like, oh, if you lose, LeBron's probably going to leave. It's, right, oh, and- it's wonderful. I'm so I'm loving it right now. You're really playing with house money, and to me, it's funny because. I, I think the situation is going to be mirrored again next year when the Cavs trade for Paul George and C.J. McCollum. Uh, you'll, you said you'll, this earlier. How are they getting these uh, these players? Are they love, for, love, for C, love for C.J., the pick for Paul George. You're, you're fine. Paul George is going to do the Chris Paul opt into the last year of his deal and then get traded over because if he's leaving, hey, why not take the Brooklyn pick? Yeah, uh, that's fair. And you re- you legitimately think these are this is going to happen? You have no worries about LeBron uh, signing with the Houston Rockets or the Lakers or somewhere else. Uh, I think if he's signing anywhere, it'd be Philly. I oh I, man, that would fucking suck. <laughs> I mean, I, I've heard a few times now. Lee Jenkins talked about it. Brian Windhorst talked about it. Um, that Houston probably doesn't want to gut their team to to sign LeBron. Um, he's not going to San Antonio because I I, I don't think there's as much Very as he refusing the situation over there right now. Yeah, and as much as he respects Pop, I don't think he'd ever want to play for Pop. Um LA, I mean, sure that's a team that exists. Um but it definitely he, does, definitely but, exists. But LeBron traditionally has not valued young players or at least players that raw like Philly at least they have young talent, but like those guys are far more polished and they have it's it's a more clear path, especially in the Eastern Conference. Um, yeah, I, I I lean towards him staying, but ultimately you never know with LeBron. Um, I, I definitely think it's good to to have a run this late because you're not giving him time to to sit at home and and create a new super team somewhere. Do you think if the Cavaliers win, they have any chance against the Rockets or the Warriors? Uh, Rockets, yes. Um, Warriors, no. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just like all of this is going to come down to just the Warriors winning again. It's like 
Right, and, and I think... Amazing season, but we all knew this was going to happen. Yeah, and I think the Warriors are going to beat the Rockets in five. Um, but if for some reason, let's say, Steph re-aggravates his ankle and or or something weird happens and Houston gets through, I will take two All-Stars versus two All-Stars when LeBron is on this side. Um, but yeah, uh, you, you cut me off before I got to my point, which is Kyrie leaving after next season. That it's, the Cavs could send him home, and, and Kyrie's backing up. I mean, do we do the Celtics really need him with Terry Rozier, a better defender? No, uh, no, 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 no. But they're they're going to let Terry walk because they're going to keep smart. Keep up, well, no, keep up, I keep mean, up with my narratives. Gonna, if if Kyrie is leaving, it's upset because he's uh, Terry Rozier has taken his role. I think the the crazy thing is I just don't I can't see a world in which Kyrie is leaving. I actually think been there, bro. Like, <laughs> I said fair. been there, bro. <laughs> I just think him I like totally believe in his like weird connection with Brad Stevens the entire Kyrie is such a weird dude, but all of his his comments about like his appreciation of Brad Stevens and his connect like his, the aura and the connection and the chakras around Brad Stevens and like their how much they've grown together. It would be really difficult for him. Look, look, up, look up his comments after the Cavs were eliminated in the finals. Kyrie was basically like moved to tears talking about how much it means to play alongside LeBron. I can't wait to, to spend like next few years with him, blah, 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 blah. I've learned so much. We've come so far. Um, Kyrie's a weird dude. Do, do you ever think he's going to be the face of the franchise there? Because that was a, I, that's part of the narrative that... It was always going to be LeBron's team, and Boston's always going to be Brad Stevens' team. Do you, do you think that that may end up being an issue at some point? No, because Brad Stevens like is the most deflects all attention from him at all times, and is immediately trying to put on the players. He was asked about it in the pregame about the coaches' vote, and he said he would vote for the twenty nine other coaches ahead of him. Like it actually makes him square like squeamish to talk about him being good whatsoever. What a nerd. So he, <laughs> he is one of the biggest like Midwestern robots uh, just, just put on this earth to coach basketball. Uh, he's absolutely a nerd, and it's fantastic. Um, but he's the type of guy who's just not going to take credit whatsoever and put it back on the players. I mean, yes, he's going to get credit. I don't know if Kyrie – is Kyrie petty enough to be like the coach is getting credit, uh, but I'm also playing well, and he's going to maximize my talent and make me the best player possible? I, I, I mean – if you remove the word coach with LeBron, um, I, I think that there's a case for that. But it's also about what his dad wants. Like, that's a big thing with <laughs> it's Kyrie. All, it's just Kyrie's dad. Well, yeah, it's important. Uh, yeah, father yeah, it's important. Al Horford is a, a great father. Jason Tatum's a, an amazing father. Fatherhood's important to the Celtics. <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly screwing around with you. I, I think I like to throw conspiracies out there because no one keeps track of whether or not you're right. No, um, that's the best thing about the internet. <laughs> but if you are right, you get to be really obnoxious about it. Like when I was pitching back in 2012, I was bugging Matt Moore all the time. Well, you know, LeBron had a handshake deal with Dan Gilbert. He's coming back in 2014. The Cavs are going to win in 2015. And <laughs> did you did you know that, or was that just a crockpot theory then that you happened to win on? It was. It was a crackpot theory. I don't have sources. Uh, uh, Dan, Dan Lipschitz or whatever his name is like oh, likes to man. bug me about my sources, but um, no, it's it's crackpot theories. I, I don't I don't know I anything. You, I'm, all, I'm all for crackpot theories. Yeah, yeah, and and it's fun. And I mean, Kyrie is for Cavs fans. Kyrie's always going to be beloved. I don't know if that is, sentiment is going to be shared by LeBron fans, but um, he made the but, shot in Game Seven. He had right, and and he's also the reason LeBron came back. And if he capped it all off with leaving Boston after two years, that that would be something oh, I special. You guys would love that. That that would be something special. But um, I I do appreciate that. Just like LeBron falling apart in 2011 gave us that postseason to kind of recover and adjust to, to life without him. I do appreciate that Kyrie, hopefully he bounces back and gets healthy. Uh, I do appreciate that he is out because this series would be way too emotional seeing him on the other side this soon after. Oh my God. It would be absolutely insane. Uh, Cause I already think it's going to be a pretty intense series, but you add in Kyrie coming back to Cleveland, it would be absolutely wild. And I don't know how Kyrie exactly would uh, – they definitely could use his offense, but the thing 
about Kyrie is like him going out has not hurt their defense whatsoever. And that's why they're winning basketball games is because they have the best defense in the league. But he is uh, actually like the fact Terry Rozier is playing more has helped their defense. And so it's, he definitely have a huge impact because he's Kyrie Irving. He's like an amazing offensive basketball player, but um, yeah, you better appreciate him. (laughs) <laughs> I definitely appreciate it. He's absolute like wizard watching Kyrie Irving live and like just when he does his dribble moves and like the excitement, the like the actual aura that comes over the crowd is one of the most like entertaining things in sports. He, he's and a violent ball handler. He absolutely is. And he's a wizard. It seems like he's moving before the ball is and he's like decides after the fact where the ball's going and it's constant improvisation. He's amazing, and his ability to finish is absolutely amazing. So I'm not—I don't want to denigrate Kyrie Irving whatsoever. Um, I'm very excited to see him with Gordon Hayward and Al Horford, and the emergence of um, Jalen and Jason Tatum, because we got five minutes of it uh, against you guys, and then but the preseason—oh, you should have seen the ball movement in the preseason. That was the best offense I've ever seen. The preseason Celtics this year were amazing. And I'm very excited for the return of Gordon Hayward because I think Gordon Hayward is the most would be the best player on the Celtics just in terms of he uh, his general scoring and his ability to play two ways and he's plays on the wing. Um, I, I think Gordon Hayward's the key to everything. He is like Brad Stevens is a coaching robot made in the Midwest. And Gordon Hayward is the basketball playing robot built by robot Brad Stevens. Like you put those two together. The Celtics, that's what I'm the most excited for. Yes, Kyrie's return, but Kyrie and Gordon Hayward is going to be uh, amazing. I I, I think the the Celtics are, no matter what happens, I think the prohibitive favorites to win the East next year. The Great White Hopes joining forces. Absolutely. It's (laughs) it's the Midwest. It's Indiana coming after you. I love it. Now, you said that you do predict that this is going to be a hard-fought series. Now, to me... I really do think that this time off benefited the Cavs because they are old and wounded and they, they really needed some damn practice time together. Uh, they, they went into the postseason with game 83 being their first game with the full roster. And of course, George Hill goes down and Kevin Love gets hurt in game two against Indiana. And as a result of those things, that series drags on for way too long. Um, but I do think as the postseason um, kind of progresses, you start to see the Cavs implementing more sets. They get comfortable with one another. Um, I think that they're they're going to try to hopefully breathe some life into Jordan Clarkson or Rodney Hood, uh, who had good stretches for them, but um, just haven't shown up yet in this playoffs. But I think already with Hill, Love, LeBron, Corver, Jr., and, and even Thompson, and he, Jeff Green too. Can't forget about Uncle oh, Jeff. God. All those guys that are now playing pretty well and playing good basketball with one another. I, I'm just not confident that Boston can score enough to keep up with them. And and for that reason, I, I do think that this series is going four, maybe five, <laughs> maybe five. And um, maybe this is a, an overcorrection because I picked Toronto. You did, and come off, you did come off four games where you just basically humiliated a franchise. So I understand the confidence. Right. And and the team that, frankly, I thought is a lot better than Boston. Like, I, I wasn't impressed with Milwaukee or Philly going in. So Boston handling them the way they did uh, didn't move me a whole lot. And I just think Toronto is a more well-balanced team, and they were a better team throughout the season, um, especially with all the injuries Boston's had. So for those reasons, while I do think that Boston can present some unique challenges defensively, I I just don't buy that they can score enough. I think uh, home court advantage actually will impact this game. If you look at the splits between home and road and the, the Celtics field goal percentage, it's insane. They're just so much better at scoring on the road. I mean, wow. Completely got that one wrong. Scoring at home. I definitely agree that Boston's home court advantage is really important. But my question for you would be, how many players on Boston's active roster right now have more playoff wins at TD Garden than LeBron? 
maybe Marcus Smart, but you're probably you probably pre-practiced statistic and uh, have this ready. No, I, I don't have stats ready. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> like, I I think that that was definitely a factor. Like you saw, um, I think Ursan Ilyasova was commenting about how different it was at TD Garden um, versus Miami, which I, I mean, Miami is yeah, Miami. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that that's something that can phase younger teams. But you, you it's look- obviously not going to phase LeBron James. But I just think it's it. It's, it and it's not going to phase Love. It's not going to phase Jr. Like there's a lot of guys on that team that that have been in Boston for big playoff games. A, it a just few times. feels more important for the Celtics' own shot making. Uh, like that's it boils down to that. The, the Celtics, uh, the past two years, really, um, because of a lot of what the Brad Stevens offense is, is not focused around one player. It's around just like motion offense and trying to get like open looks. Um, pretty much for anyone, it's just constant movement. You end up with like a lot of players taking uh, like a lot of not great jump shooters taking a lot of shots. You have your Mark Smarts, your uh, Aaron Baines, um, and so it just I think just natural tendencies. You play better in like an environment you're more confident in, but it feels really apparent for the Celtics. So I don't think it's necessarily going to phase uh, LeBron James or a LeBron James team, but it does feel like important at least from a Celtics perspective, just in terms of their offense. Oh, for sure. I mean, role players typically play better at home. Um, like, that's one thing that we've just consistently seen. And I do think how Boston kind of comes... Boston is basically... Uh, uh, they're very talented, but the way they play is they're just like... It's equally distribution. There is no star they defer to. Everyone... There's like a different player who shows up each game. And there's no real game plan going in of like who that is going to be it kind of like kind of emerges a different game based on who's hot i mean that's a that's a real polite way to say that they're a team of role players uh they all (laughs) they are uh at this point there's no like true stars on the team i think jason tatum is going to be quite good i think jalen brown's going to be quite good i think al horford is an amazing and incredibly valuable player but there's no dominant superstar jason tatum is just absolutely absurd like he is so polished for his age it's disgusting i i'm i'm a huge fan of tatum he has just been amazing the entire year like the we do a daily celtics podcast and the amount of time we just spent gushing about this 19 and now 20 year old boy is uh hilarious uh but that's basically all we talk about because he has just been great like at every step of the way, even in games where he hasn't scored, he's been getting rebounds and playing pretty solid defense. And his coming on as of late in the, um, especially in the playoffs, his ability to attack the basket and get around players and finish around the rim with his length has been amazing. It's just like there's a lot of times where it just like doesn't make sense what he does. Um, and I've been nothing but pleased with uh, Jason Tatum so far. So I gave you my prediction for the series. Where do you think that this is going to go? Um, I would say I would have to go Celtics in seven, but I don't. Damn. Like, that's, that's what my heart says. My head doesn't believe it. My head says LeBron James is the best player in the league and it are probably going to be Cavs in six. So I'm going to hedge and say Cavs in six or Celtics in seven. I just have this belief in the Celtics that they are going to be in the game. Uh, they're going to execute. They're going to play smart. They're not. They're going to control what they control. They're going to play like Brad Stevens. Uh, wants them to play and they're generally just played solid basketball and they have the best defense in the league. They've had the best defense in the league for the entire year. Uh, that, that alone is going to keep them relatively in games. And I think we've seen that the against, I mean, are like, are, yes, the bucks are very stupid and Joe Prunty is, uh, they just play dumb basketball <laughs> and this, and the 76ers are quite young. So the Celtics, uh, like poise clearly was displayed against them but i think that counts for something they're going to be close i just don't see them being uh blown out it's just not something that's happened to them uh really at all this year and so i think the celtics are going to be in in most of these games they're going to be close uh and i just have this like we say kaizen which is uh the what's up in the celtics weight room it's what brad stevens preaches it mean it's japanese for like incremental progress getting better each day and it's uh it's kind of the cult of Brad Stevens that I've I've subscribed to I've given my life to uh, to follow dear leader Brad and I'm not going to stop believing in him now. And if this season or if this series was four or five games with the bulk of it being uncompetitive, would that change even a fraction of your belief in Stevens? 
Well, no, because then you'd be focusing on the results instead of the process. And really, you'd go back and you'd watch what happened and you'd learn from it. And that's part of uh, the Brad Stevens growth mindset is you you got to control what you can control. And so then you just move on to next season. Then there's a new goal and you learn from what uh, your mistakes and uh, you just move on trying to get a little bit better each day and just become a little bit better of a basketball player. And eventually that will uh, lead you to true salvation. I dig it. I dig it. Now, before we wrap this up, airing of grievances. I'm going to give you the floor here. You have at it. I don't have any, like a lot of grievances. I wanted to bring up your, you're very quick to say a Boston is racist joke. And I would say 85% of the time they're good jokes. And uh, I think <laughs> the part of the reason we get along is because we both realize that the internet is for fun and being mad online is just so not worth it. And so we laugh at the other jokes. But um, as a Bostonian, I generally I, I don't side with the people who get very, very defensive about Boston racist jokes because uh, the main thing is Boston is racist. It's like a very segregated city. Uh, <laughs> it is racist. Like, But I think my problem with it is that by identifying Boston, you let like the rest of America and society in general off the hook. Because I know you don't live in Cleveland, but Cleveland is just as racist. Like everywhere else is pretty racist. Like the Cleveland Police Department, I'm pretty sure is currently under like federal control because they were doing unconstitutional, racially biased policing. So I just don't want um, the rest of America to get sh- uh, not get shame for their racism. You don't have to focus on Boston because of course they're racist. They're in America. The thing for me is I'm always looking for the source of easy jokes and. As know, that's the as easiest one. And as you'll often see online, like when you don't know a whole lot about cities, you go off of the stereotype. So a lot of people will make fun of Cleveland for, okay, the river caught on fire or <laughs> it's like um, the, the Cleveland tourism video. Like that's that's where you go for Cleveland jokes. And each city kind of has those defining traits. And I've never been to Boston. I don't know anything about Boston, but that's what I've been told. And that's what gets a reaction. So for that reason, that's where I'm going to go for those jokes. Now, on a, on a serious note, um, I, I think your your larger point is right, where that it is prominent in every city. Like I, I think that that's something that's a consistent issue. Like there was a McLean's is a, a big art uh, magazine company in Canada, and they did a feature on Winnipeg as the most racist city in uh, Canada, and uh, that is mostly a result of the treatment of the First Nations community uh, within the city, which I, I think is absolutely appalling. It's a, it's a completely it's such a complex and awful situation, and, and it breaks my heart, especially because Winnipeg is such a multicultural city. Uh, we have big events where um, all these different cultures, uh, for two weeks, everyone puts on a pavilion showing off their own cultures. You go there, you experience the music, you eat the food, and to see how those issues are, are there in the city and, and those deep-seated issues... Like it breaks my heart, and I'll whenever there's a serious issue, I will point stuff out, and I'll try to call it out, and I think that it's important that we all do that. But at the same time, like when it comes to making Twitter jokes, um, if you gotta go for the joke. <laughs> if I see all of a sudden it's um, Boston scored a hundred points, that's a free. Uh, <laughs> Oh, what was it? Not Pizza Pizza. Uh, Papa John's. Papa John's Pizza if you use promo code SMART. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there, and it was right after the Papa John scandal. Like, it's like <laughs> the universe just throws me these lobs, and I can't not finish them. Um, so I, I think your larger point is very important, and I do see why that would be annoying to you. Um, oh, no, but don't get me wrong. I, gen- I, I appreciate jokes. Jokes over everything. Right, and I try to at least be a little bit creative with it. I don't promise creativity. I'm not the smartest person on the planet. Well, that's um, not what Twitter's for. Twitter's just for firing off whatever. Like, yeah, of course you're going to try and be funny, but uh, you're just it's volume shooting at this point. Right, and nobody finds me funnier than myself. So as long as I'm keeping <laughs> myself laughing like that, ultimately that's that's the main goal. Some of I some of my best tweets I think just go like completely ignored, and then I just have dumb tweets where I just like tweet something in all caps and like, oh, Celtics Twitter loves that, and I just think that was just stupid. Can can we talk about weird Celtics Twitter? Oh, let's talk about weird Celtics Twitter. Because you want to know. <laughs> I sometimes I think it's funny. Sometimes I think I I think it's a little overrated. 
I'm, I'm going to be upfront with that. I don't think it's as creative as it can be. I think you guys can take it to a different level. I think it, de- uh, it's the, the best thing in the world. Uh, it's just insane and it doesn't really make any sense. Um, and from an outsider's perspective, I can totally see where it's just, it's completely nonsense, uh, but right. we kind of embrace the nonsense there. And again, we're, we're all, all mostly about volume there. Um, but it's just a completely weird thing. And it's basically just one guy, uh, the riffs man, Herbert of riffs. Like that guy is basically just like a tastemaker and <laughs> what, what is cool and what is not. And what is like having a good time. And we just, he's kind of like the social leader. He's a part of the cult of Brad Stevens. I would say he's his own cult, but it's also weird because weird Celtics Twitter also has this like everyone else has their like they have their Celtics tweets and then they're all just like these bunch of leftists uh who are just like constantly tweeting about uh socialist politics and so it's a it's an interesting read uh, definitely on the timeline i would say i lo- i'm not deeply involved in Celtics twitter i'm more of a curator i pull out the best but the people who are really involved in it are like co- posting memes every single day and are constantly doing new photoshops and new uh new stuff like that uh it's impressive they they're constantly churning out the great content <laughs> my my hot take is that they can do better but i guess you know what if you get appreciation of it like that's that's the main thing like the, every maybe maybe it's maybe we're we're talking about the jealousy where i feel like every every team's twitter has its own thing and, and then all of a sudden this one's given the spotlight so what is, what is Cavs twitter tell me about it is it like is it just Le- LeBron versus the actual Cavs fans? Like LeBron fans versus Cavs fans? <laughs> no, we, we just kind of – we exist in our own little corner. Um, I mean the peak was obviously the, the four years where, where things were awful, where we're just making our own jokes to get by. Um, was, shout out to C.S. Aviat who um, – <laughs> So that if Anthony Bennett would ever score double digits in a game, he'd tattoo his box score to his face. Uh, we had <laughs> Anthony pe- Bennett now part of the Red Claws. Uh, I'm looking forward to his comeback next year. Shout out to the Fat Mamba. Um, we we just just tons of tons of weird crap like that. But uh, it's the uh, the pressure of championship expectations certainly <laughs> changes uh, the way that your team's Twitter looks. But um, Sam, I really do appreciate you coming on and and helping provide what I think is a, a pretty good look at this series. I, I think we covered a lot of different topics and and some of the uh, the animosity that exists between our two teams. Yeah, but I think we uh, handled it with class and grace uh, because we are just better than most of the people on the Internet who are, are terrible. We at least uh, can identify good jokes and laugh at them. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. It was fun. Uh, to to be clear, to be clear, you are terrible and I am terrible. Like it's oh, well, yeah. But don't like, don't elevate yourself. I, I'm not I'm not looking for that. Oh, no, I'm just saying um, uh, there's levels of terrible, and I would say we're uh, the least terrible, at least in terms of uh, just general people. I'm just trying to give you a compliment, and I'm vain. I'm vain enough to believe in myself. I have that confidence. As, as much as I love attention, I'm terrible with compliments. So uh, I'll thank you for that. Um, thank you again to our listeners. Uh, you guys have been awesome. Uh, check out Locked On Celtics. Uh, Sam's on there. You got Jay King, John Corrales. Um, so check them out. Um, remember subscribe leave a rating leave a review you can also email us at chasedownpod.com at gmail.com not .com oh it's been a long day it's been a long week I'm ready for basketball to start so thanks to Sam thanks to our listeners until next time go Cats